0: I'm Steve Gilman, and this is Brand Story, where we help you build stronger, more sustainable brands by sharing insightful conversations with brand leaders, marketers, and professional storytellers. My guest today is Dana Hera.
1: Branding is what connects the message to the messenger in your audience's mind. Because if they remember your message, but they don't remember who said it, great job marketing for your industry, I guess.
0: Dana is a top content strategist, brand voice expert, and copywriter. She spent 10 years as an award-winning journalist before entering the marketing world and founding HERA Communications. Hi, Dana. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, Steve. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this. I followed you on LinkedIn forever and just love your content and what you have to say about content marketing. So, so glad we could connect and have you on the podcast.
1: No, oh, Thanks so much. It's a, it's a mutual admiration society. I'm such a huge fan of what you guys are doing over at Gravity and just your worldview and your approach to marketing so thank you yeah i think we're we're definitely peas in a pod
0: yeah we definitely have our kindred spirits about you know how to approach marketing and how to do content so i think this is going to be a lot of fun today so you work with all kinds of different marketing teams of various sizes to help them simplify content marketing um, and i think this is a common question where and that they probably all have where should a marketing team even start
1: earlier than they think uh, <laughs> farther back than you think yeah right where it starts is getting really clear on who you are and why you're doing this. Like, What do you expect to get out of content marketing? Um, you know, like the whole, the old saying, if you don't know where you're going, you're probably not going to end up there. Um, so set some specific goals and figure out how content is going to help you get there. And you have to be real sure of who you are as a brand um, because that's going to shape what your content looks and sounds like, and that is going to shape whether people remember it or not. Um, So it really starts there. And then the very next step is audience research. And all of that has to be done before you even start thinking about where am I going to distribute and what am I going to talk about?
0: And so many people start there, like how many posts a week? And what should I, you know, which platform should I be on? So when you're working with someone on a content strategy, what do you think, you know, to start at the beginning, what do you think goes into a solid content strategy? What do you think of the, the, you know, actual foundation of that?
1: So the actual elements, like if I were going to break it into chapters, um, you got a chapter in, because it's a documented strategy. You should have some kind of documentation. Crazy. It shouldn't just live in your head.
0: <laughs> That's nuts, Dana.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. People are just going to turn, they've turned the podcast off at this point. Yeah.
0: They're like, I have to document a content strategy. I don't want to do that.
1: I know. It's all up here. I got it.
0: Yeah. I got it.
1: So, if we're going to break it into chapters, you'd have a chapter on that foundational who we are and why we're doing this. That's you. Then you've got a chapter on your audience who are we talking to and why? What do we want them to do? Yeah. Then from there, you're going to move into messaging. What do we talk to those people about? How do we get them to trust us and to do the thing we want them to do? Because if they don't trust you, they're not going to do the thing you want them to do. Exactly. And then you have the distribution chapter. That's what platforms should I be on? What should I be posting there? How often do I post, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then I would even go so far as to do a final chapter that not everybody does, but that's, your your metrics and measurement. And there might not be hard numbers. Sometimes there are hard numbers, sometimes there aren't. It really depends on your goals at the outset. But yeah, there's so many times where I've hear people say, Well, I tried content marketing and it didn't work. And you say, Well, what did you expect it to do that it didn't do? (laughs) How do you know if it worked if you weren't measuring anything?
0: Yeah. And also it's not sales. It's not put out a piece of content marketing and someone buys from you immediately, which I think people confuse the effect you're trying to have.
1: Content and ads they're not the same.
0: No, it's not advertising. You know, you're, you're educating, you're trying to form friendships. You're trying to get people to, you know, understand and trust you. That's not a short-term proposition.
1: It's absolutely not. And I'll tell people that, you know, sometimes, depending on what your goals are, sometimes this isn't the best channel, the best strategy for you. If you need like immediate turnaround, you want to look at advertising. If, if that's, if that is like where your goals are, is we need to turn something this quarter or this month, all right, content's not going to get you there that fast. The nice thing about it though, is when it does, it, it's building, it's slow, but when it does get you there, there's compounding returns, right? When you stop running an ad, you stop getting results from the ad. Content keeps working long after it's published.
0: Yeah. And I think the problem of an ad only strategy or a I need this now strategy is that everyone isn't walking around ready to buy. You know, so the reason you have, I think you have to have both, you know, to build any kind of sustainable brand, because, you know, you have to be in touch with your audience and offer them something to stay engaged with you, whatever that is. And it better either be educational or emotional or give them a reason to care because they're not all walking around the second you put out an ad, they're sitting there waiting to click and buy or call you on the phone. So how else, how else do you stay in touch with them?
1: Right. Exactly. It's, I mean, when you think about even in sectors that are impulse buys, that are ad driven, let's talk fast food. Yeah, right. Fast food is not something you think a long time about buying, right? And so a lot of their their marketing, it is ad driven. I see the ad. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a good deal. I'm going to go do that. Uh, But the fast food giants, they still have social media profiles where they're putting out content, right? I mean... Wendy's has probably sold more burgers through their social media profiles than they have through their ads.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have to engage with people, and it has to be, you know, I think having a really good advertising strategy is so key, depending on the kind of business you are in and the industries you're in. But if you're not producing content and trying to nurture your audience long term in this day and age, I think, you know, what happens is you go from ad campaign to ad campaign and it turns unsustainable really fast.
1: Again, it really depends greatly on what you're selling, right? Because most of us aren't selling burgers. Uh, if you're selling services of some kind or a high ticket item or software, um, this is not something where people are going to see an ad and be like, oh, yeah, that's the thing I need. I'm going to go buy that, right? They need, they need to trust you. And how do they yeah. know that you know what you're talking about if you haven't been on their radar showing that you know what you're talking about?
0: Agreed. And then, you know, if you're a brand that is based in experience, you know, any kind of travel brand, any kind of hotel brand, then you need to stay at least not, not top of mind, but in the conversation. So that when someone is getting that like feeling like, hey, I want to go somewhere, they think of you. They're not going to book the trip the second they see your content, but you know, it's, it's such a powerful tool. So I think when it gets skipped, you can really see some diminishing returns. I like what you said about starting with the audience. And I think you and I have talked about this before about being audience centric. And one of the things that I'd love to talk to you about is how emotional is content marketing sometimes? Cause I think a lot of times people think of content marketing as facts.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think we've talked to you about, I tend to work, I'm industry agnostic, I work in all industries, but just by the way things have shaken out, I tend to work in some pretty unsexy, unglamorous kinds of industries, right? You know, some uh, industrial and science-based, um, things like that. Um, a lot of business to business, not a lot of consumer. And in those industries, especially, I got to tell you, if you're trying to stand out, the bar is really low. Like, have a little bit of personality and make an emotional connection and nobody else is doing that. The bar for that is so low there. Like, the people you're selling to are people. When you're like, I'm selling to, you know, C-level managers in biopharma, okay, well, that's their job. But they're still people. They laugh at jokes, right? They (laughs) they go home to their families, right? They worry about where they're going on vacation. So talk to people like they're people. And you can really set yourself so easily apart. It's not that, I want to say it's not that hard. It is that hard. Um, But the bar is not that high.
0: Yeah. And finding those angles and finding the way to talk, you know, be entertained, be a little bit emotional, be engaging for even the driest. Of so, quote unquote, industries, industries that don't have any of that. They all have it because, you know, there are human beings that work there and there are human stories of how it was founded and there are human beings on the other end. So I think one of the things that huge mistakes that B2B makes is thinking that people buy logically.
1: Yeah, you're going to buy the one that makes you feel good, the one that you can see yourself using.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: When when you're just talking about the the facts and keeping it really dry and that level no matter how awesome and amazing your product is you're turning it into a commodity
0: i mean you're just talking features and benefits which gets old really quick
1: even if you have some amazing proprietary nobody else does this feature doesn't mean nobody will ever be able to do it right (laughs) like right okay you you're the only one that does this now
0: well and also even with when you have some amazing feature It isn't that the amazing, amazing feature exists. It's what it can do for each individual person. How does it empower them to do something in their life? And I guarantee that, that thing that they get to do because of your great product is emotional to them, whether that's save time, be, you know, more efficient, make more money. It, this, these aren't like just concepts. I I always think about B2B people trying to market to business robots. Like they think everyone out there in business is just like I showed up for business and I have no feelings, you know, we're as human while we do business as we are elsewhere.
1: There are a couple of industries that are dry, boring industries that still actually do this really well um, that come to mind. And one is uh, we'll start with one. I'm going to start on the advertising side a little more, but insurance. Insurance is boring,
0: right? Super boring.
1: But if you think about advertising. I don't know at what point it happened that suddenly insurance companies are the ones, with the funniest ads.
0: Yeah. Geico all the way.
1: Right. Geico and all of that, you know, the Allstate mayhem and state Farm. They're, no, they're all, they're all funny. So you still have a very dry technical product, but they're funny and they're relatable. It's not, you need this level of insurance. It's, oh no, what happens if a boat crashes through your living room window? Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's much more engaging and it's much more story-based and that's what human beings like.
1: The other one that comes to mind, um, and this is somewhat in the advertising, but also in the content realm, uh, financial services. Now again, if financial services are your thing, then God bless you. Because I know people who get like really passionate about it, but for most of us, it's a big, intimidating, hard-to-understand Subject
0: absolutely. And
1: I've worked with some financial service uh, companies or some financial advisors, and I've written content for them, worked with them on their content. And the thing we we talk about is they're not selling uh, investment strategies; they're not working with money. What they are selling is your cut, co- your kid's college education, your retirement plan. Um, it's. Money is just money. It's the things that money represents to people. That's where their messaging is around because that's making that emotional connection. I mean, sure. I care about money because everybody cares about money, but what, why?
0: Yeah. It's the why behind what the product does for you. So we work with banks and credit unions. And again, you know, when you, if you want to just throw a bunch of rates in front of people, some people are savvy, they're out shopping for rates, but most people it's the why behind being able to make a little bit more on their savings or invest a little better or, you know, get a home equity line of credit because they want to do something. All the things they want to do are emotional. No one builds a new deck because they think it's a good investment. You know? <laughs> they do it because it's a lifestyle. You know, they want a new deck so they can have their friends over. They see their family being happy outdoors. You know, no one's no one's like, oh, this will look. maybe there's one guy out there. That's building it because it'll make his home value go up. But most people know,
1: and even that guy has an emotional why. It's like because it'll make my home value go up, so that I can leave my kids off in and in a, you know better off in a, when I go, or so that I can sell this house and move to that cottage on the beach.
0: And I think you're a great content marketer. Like anyone that's listening to this, please follow Dana on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, great content marketers are almost like emotional translators. You know, you have to take some very dry stuff in some industries drier than others and figure out where is the story and where is the emotion and then how to do it over time, not just in a one liner. And I think that's what's really challenging.
1: And to be consistent, that's what's so challenging for so many people who try to do content marketing. Um, and the, when I say that people immediately think consistent in like your cadences and your schedules and yeah, that too. Um but to be consistent in what that emotional response you're trying to generate is like, are you the brand that makes me laugh and I feel good and I I associate you with happy things? Are you the brand that like, Oh man, you really touch me and you really like, I'm so emotionally invested in this story. Um, Are you the brand that's like really looking to the future and I get excited and inspired?
0: That's a great point. And you know, that's why, you talk to some companies and they're like, well, I just want to talk about what my product does. And I just want to talk about what, how great our thing is. And I want to talk about how great we are. Well, if you're not going to talk about your why, if you're not going to talk about the passion behind what you do, if you're not going to talk about the emotion, then you're not going to be able to speak a language that consumers care about. And you're right. I love your point around consistency because it is about emotional consistency. If you're all over the place then and trying to please everyone, or talk to everyone, no one will remember
1: you. And, you know, I started with content and brand kind of worked its way in because they really are so closely connected um, in ways people don't realize. In branding is what connects the message to the messenger in your audience's mind. Because if they remember your message, but they don't remember who said it, great job marketing for your industry, I guess.
0: Right? Job not done. You know, there's, there's something about content that I think I've seen shut people down or shut down marketing teams or individual marketers or business owners and you wrote a post about it and I just loved this post. So I want to talk to you a little bit about it. The the fact that an audience, while you're trying to be consistent, you're trying to be emotionally consistent out there, your audience isn't keeping score and watching every single thing you do. And I think people think I put out that one piece of content so everyone saw it, right? Or if I put out just the wrong, if it's not perfect, then everyone will see it and they'll judge me. So, can you talk about that a little bit? Because I I think that shuts people down again and again.
1: Yeah, I think there were two two different states I was trying to address with that because they both they're different emotional states, but they have the same effect of I like your your phrase there, shutting people down um, and creating a fear of putting content out there. Um, and the first one is. People are afraid of being a nag, right? I can't talk about, I just talked about that yesterday. I can't post about that again today. People are tired of hearing this. Oh my God, last week's email was about this. I can't send another email about the same topic. People are going to hate me. People don't remember. They have not spent, like the people who saw your post yesterday, when they see your post today, they probably don't remember. They might remember that you said it. Probably they don't. Probably they didn't see it. You know, Reach is a real thing. And let's say that the same person, yes, they saw your post yesterday. They see this one today. They do remember. They're like, they're not going to think, oh, such a nag, Steve, talking about content again.
0: Such a bore.
1: (laughs) What they're going to think is, oh yeah, Steve, he's the guy that talks about content. And that's what you want. Like you want them associating you as the the X who talks about Y. Awesome. That's great. Repetition breeds familiarity. Familiarity breeds trust. Um, so that's it's a good thing to be repetitive. They are not I think the other thing is that we all get caught up when you're creating a piece of content, you've looked at it a hundred times and you've been thinking about it for hours. Nobody you're else. Sick of it is thinking about it. Like you're thinking about it. It's a few seconds or minutes out of their day and they've moved on. So it's fine. Um, So yeah, so that's, that was the first one was the people who are afraid to post because they don't want to be repetitive. And the other one, which you alluded to are the people who are afraid of messing up.
0: Yeah. They're afraid of being judged.
1: Yeah. I'll post. I'm not going to put my opinion in it. I'm not going to tell that story because I don't want blowback or uh, I'm thinking about rebranding and I have this idea for a new brand and I it really makes me excited, but I'm scared to do it because what if people don't like it? Um, then you readjust. If people don't like it, you change. Not everybody's going to like anything, right? Um, there's, I think it was Dita Von Teese is one of my favorite quotes. And it's, uh, you could be the sweetest, juiciest peach in the whole world and there's still going to be someone who hates peaches, right? You are never going to make anything that everybody likes and that's okay. They're not all your people. Yeah.
0: That's why you're emotionally consistent. That's why you keep posting.
1: If your people don't like it, then you recalibrate and you adjust. Nothing is forever. Like you're, unless you're literally carving it into stone tablets, it's not forever. I I was uh, talking with a, I want to say a colleague, but we're in a mastermind together uh, last week. And she's trying to launch this rebrand. She's got it all worked out. She's just hesitating and pulling the trigger. And so we were talking through why, what's what's going on. I'm like, okay, what's the best case scenario? You do this rebrand and it it works the way you want it to. Best case scenario. She's like, I think best case scenario, I could get everything that I want. Like she sees limitless opportunity and possibility. And we're like, okay, what's the worst case scenario? You pull the trigger and it flops completely. Will you die? Will your business shut down? And she's like, no, I'll be embarrassed and I'll be upset. Okay, so if we're putting it on a scale, on one side of the scale, you have embarrassment, which is a real fear. And on the other side of the scale, you have everything you want. Why are you letting embarrassment be the heavier side? So yeah, don't don't be afraid to post because people might not like it. If they don't like it, that's fine.
0: Yeah. And also they'll probably skip it instead of pay attention and judge it. That's the, that's the weirdest thing is it goes back to the thing you said about, you know, not everyone's watching. So getting it wrong, you know, unless you do something so outrageously uncool, unless you go out and you're openly horrible, then it's not probably going to be memorable enough on the first couple times that it's going to just embarrass you to the point of no repair. You might get a little feedback and adjust, but that's the difference is the upside comes after a lot of consistency. So getting it wrong is super forgettable, you know, which is why it's okay to go out and say something personal or, or try something new in content and you find your voice because no one's going to go back and be like, you know, Dana, you posted something a year ago. That doesn't quite agree with what you posted yesterday, and I just want to hold your feet to the fire over that. so one other thing I wanted to talk to you about is something that you spend a lot of time on that I love, and it's brand voice and I think brand voice is incredibly important and gets sort of uh shorted in processes where people are doing whether it's a brand identity project or forming or refreshing a brand. Brand voice ends up being this thing where people are like, I know what my brand's voice is. So does Larry, the intern. Can you talk about brand voice and how you help people on that?
1: I think it gets shorted for a couple of reasons. One, because um, people don't really understand it, right? It it sounds very sort of vague and like artsy-fartsy, right? Um, And I don't think they realize that it can be measured and controlled. It feels like it's just something that either you get it or you don't. Oh, well, we have we have Dana write all our content because she knows our brand voice. And if she's on vacation, we'll just repost some old stuff, right? Like you don't have to do that. Um, brand voice, any voice, it can be broken down into discrete elements that can be measured. And if you can measure it, you can repeat it, right? It's, you can take a, the scientific process to this. Um, and I, My memory fails me. I don't remember which creator shared this on LinkedIn. Um, if anybody remembers, like message me and let me know because I, I wanna give her credit. But she put it so beautifully a little while ago. Um, she was talking about if you have brand standards, Um, your brand standards don't say our brand color is pink because, well, does that mean like hot pink, Barbie pink, baby pink, ballerina pink, like cotton candy pink? Yeah, which pink? Right, and so no brands say that. Like no brand standards say pink. It might have a, a pink, and then there's the hex code and the Pantone number. And it says this is the color pink we use. This is when we use it. The, these are the appropriate uses of it. And everybody knows. Your brand voice is like saying, okay, how do we feel about exclamation points? Well, Jenny in accounting puts two exclamation points at the end of every sentence. Is that our brand voice? Uh, you know, The social media intern thinks exclamation points are cringe and never wants to use exclamation points. Is that our brand voice? So a brand voice guide is basically saying the same thing where this is the shade of pink we use and how we use it your brand voice guide would say things like exclamation points. We can use one occasionally in keeping with our friendly tone, never more than two in a paragraph, never two right after each other. It's, you know, you can measure these things and you can set these rules and then everybody's on the same page.
0: I think one of the things you see when someone doesn't document what their brand voice should be and then make sure everyone on the team understands it is you get, a brand voice that's all over the place like so some brands are perfect at being snarky and some brands just aren't but then when you see a brand that's snarky and you enjoy it and they're kind of funny and then all of a sudden they're short of formal because someone else is posting <laughs> like it's off-putting and then the same you know if you see a brand that you trust that's kind of like official and their tone of voice is very serious and all of a sudden they're being snarky because the interns got the helm for the day man it it can be a mess
1: absolutely you don't you don't want to create dissonance in your audience's mind um and you're right and there are people well, people there are brands, but they're not even that level of consistent where it's like today we're formal and tomorrow we're snarky and on Wednesday we post an inspirational story um and so now there's just again it's there's no connection between message and messenger
0: and that's what brands are all about is you know who are you to these people and how do you feel to them? You know, so like a liquid death is going to talk a lot different than a bank of America. And, you know, and both of those have documented brand voice.
1: Absolutely. One of my favorite, um, I do the brand voice breakdowns that you've seen on LinkedIn. And one of my favorites, I, I, I in my head, I call them like my cage matches, right?
0: Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> one of my favorite ones I did this last year was uh, liquid death versus Avion. I mean, it's the same that you can get into the artesian springs or whatever it's
0: the same thing it's water
1: but they're selling it to very different audiences and they're selling it in very different ways and it's all about how you connect to that audience and how you make them feel i am sure that the avion crowd is very put off by liquid death's brand voice i'm sure they're offended by it and liquid death likes it that way that's not their
0: people yeah they found their people and their people love their brand and you know i think liquid death is probably one of the best examples of modern branding there is I'm a huge fan, but yeah, there's different audiences and completely different voices, and you have to know that's all on purpose, It's not by chance. So if you're a smaller marketing team or you're you know an entrepreneur, being aware that you need to choose what your brand voice is, it's part of your messaging.
1: And it goes back to you know, as we started this conversation, that's why you have to start with who are we and who is our audience? Everything else
0: flows out of that. Yeah. So, I, okay, I'm going to skip to another thing because you're a blast to talk to. I'm having so much fun. Uh, so, you know, something else I've seen you post about and you and I have talked about back and forth is, you know, people, all, they'll say, oh, my president wants to be a thought leader. You know, or "I this person in my company is a thought leader. I want to be a thought leader. Can you talk a little bit about what a thought leader actually is?
1: What does not make you a thought leader? Um, posting consistently about the same topics to your blog and LinkedIn that makes you an excellent content creator. Uh, That is excellent content marketing. It ticks the boxes that we've already talked about, which is great. Uh, It does not automatically make you a thought leader. Uh, I mean, break down the, the etymology here. Thought leader. You are literally leading the way people think, which means you have to be challenging the way they currently think about something and giving them a new lens to see it through or a new way of thinking about it. So if if you are posting consistently how-to content or explainer content uh, or emotionally connecting content, that's fantastic. And you can absolutely keep doing that. You do not have to have a thought leadership strategy. I want to emphasize that too. Just because you have, you're have you a big business, you do not have to be a thought leader. It's not right for everyone. Um And I think something that you and I talked about, I I think it might be where, where you were going with this. The reason it's not right for everyone is the caveat, right? In order to be a thought leader, you have to be prepared for people to not like you.
0: Yeah, there it is.
1: You are challenging the way people think. You are probably challenging some sacred cows. And you have to realize that some people are going to embrace that and they are going to follow you. And some people are going to slam the door on your face and say you're a charlatan who doesn't know what you're talking about. And you have to be emotionally prepared for that feedback and be okay with it.
0: You have to be looking for it. You have to be, be like, I love it. You know, I love that people, some people hate what I'm saying.
1: If you're challenging the status quo, some people are really happy in their status quo and they're going to feel threatened by that. And they're not going to like what you have to say. And like if they come back and, you know, ream you in the comments, You have to be prepared to not have an emotional reaction to that.
0: Yeah. You're going to get some pushback, you know, by adding real original thought or trying to change something. And that again comes down to brand and brand voice. So some brands aren't set up or designed to have true thought leader content because they're not trying to change anything. They're maybe providing you with an experience or supporting you through something, but they're not actually trying to generate change or bring about a new way of thinking. So I'm so glad we got a chance to talk about that because I think it's a really overused term that people don't stop and think just cause you're posting. And there's no, for me, there's no, I love that you said that there's no value difference between someone who's a consistent storyteller or a consistent content marketer and a thought leader. They're just different things.
1: Yeah, if your brand ethos is, we are trying to change the world, then you need to have a thought leadership strategy. If your brand ethos is, we want to be the very best at what we do, you don't need to be a thought leader to do that. If you are like staying, you're still coloring in the lines and you just wanna do it really, really well, fantastic. Don't worry about thought leadership, you don't have to.
0: I think leaders just feel like they're supposed to be, or marketers feel like they're, their leaders or their CEOs are supposed to be thought leaders. And it gets overused. And there's nothing wrong if your CEO, if hey, if you can get your CEO just to consistently post content, you're gonna win. You know? So being a really solid content marketer is just as valuable as being a thought leader, it's just a different kind of valuable, you know? So I love that we got to talk about that. There's something else he wrote about that I love that I just want to make sure the audience gets to hear. And I don't think it gets talked about enough because we live in a world with marketing that's very impatient. And a lot of people want instant results. And you talked a little bit about you got to spend time to make time, which is sort of a play on this, you know, spend money <laughs> to make money. Can you talk to me a little, can you unpack that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Um, because that's something, the old maxim that we all accept in business, right? You have to spend money to make money. Yeah. You have to invest in, in your business. You have to invest in yourself. We, we all get that. We all accept that reality. Um, and I think I was thinking about it partly in terms of uh, this instant gratification society that we're in, uh, partly in terms of all of the technology that we keep getting into, and not just with AI, just that's just the latest iteration, right? All of the technology that we've gotten. And every time the sales pitch is, we're going to save you time. And yet we're busier than ever. So, so that's, that's not necessarily the solution. Um, there's, but what I was trying to say is there's really no shortcuts, just like there's no shortcut to you got to spend money to make money. If you want to have more time to yourself, you want to have more leisure time, you want to have more time to think, You have to invest your time wisely on the things that matter, audit how you're spending your time, get rid of the stuff that is not moving the needle, outsource it, delegate it, cut it entirely. Spend your time on the really important things that move the needle so that you can make time to do the things that you really want.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, more with that. And I think it has an interesting parallel to content marketing because... You know, when you're helping anyone with content marketing, they want to see results right away. But with content marketing, if you don't spend time and you're not patient, you're not going to get success. And I feel like that, you know, everyone's always pitching everything to save you time. And I always feel like saying there's nothing wrong with a period of time doing something. Instead of being in a rush to do everything, if we did a lot more of what we do patiently over time, we'd be a lot more successful. So, everything is in a short game.
1: We need to have some thought leadership on this, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> um, we reframe that conversation. Now it's on us. Yeah. Now it's on us. Dang it. Dang Once it. you recognize the problem, it's incumbent yeah, right. on you to uh, attempt to solve the problem, right? But I'm thinking of, think of like the food industry where time is considered a bonus, right? Slow aged, slow process. you know, where that's the slower your food is prepared, like that's a bonus. You assume it's going to be higher quality. Well, why can't we take that frame and that lens and apply it to other things?
0: Man, I wish we could. I, you know, I know I try, but it's it's interesting. After having been in business as long as I have, I've realized that I always call it the Elvis rule: only fools rush in. You know, <laughs> and like that's it. that has helped me a lot because anything you do quickly, unless you have to react. I tend to like try to slow things down a little bit and carefully walk through how long something should really take to be successful. And if you can be honest with yourself and honest with clients or honest with anybody, how long is this going to take to have the effect you want? Then you get better content. You get better quality advertising. You get better everything, you know? So why do we have to be in such a damn hurry? (laughs) And when you
1: take that time um, on that planning side, not jumping to execution, you take the time to develop these detailed plans that nobody ever really wants to spend the time on, then it allows you to move fast, right? Like I, I come back to, um, I don't know if it's passed out of the the cultural memory already because things move so fast now, um, but do you remember the Super Bowl when the lights went out?
0: Yeah, absolutely. The Ravens. Yep.
1: During the time period, while the lights were still out, there was an Oreo commercial that said, don't worry, you can still dunk in the dark. Now, how, in the name of all that is holy, did they react that quickly? And all I come back to is because they had plans and processes in place for how they create content that allowed them to respond really fast and move really fast.
0: That's all because of great planning and great systems that were put in place and discipline. You know, they got there. They got to that point by being better than their competition at being ready to react. You know, so they made that message on the spot and got it out.
1: That's phenomenal. It's Brilliant. They put in that time on the back end, that time on the invisible work that nobody ever actually sees until you have a moment like that.
0: Yeah. It wasn't just some intern on his phone. You know it was right. like a social media team that was laser focused that had been trained they had guidelines they knew what they're they those people are the best and they did a great job with that
1: i have a client who says who likes to say um slow is smooth and smooth is fast so therefore slow is fast
0: yep that's absolutely true so let me ask you a couple of questions i've got sort of like some rapid fire and then i'll get you out of here i think honestly Last time we talked, I think you and I could do this for a couple of hours easy. What piece of advice have you been given that's really stuck with you?
1: That in marketing, nothing we do is life and death. Um, I'll tell a quick story going back to my first marketing role. So I had been, as you mentioned, I had been fairly successful as a journalist, but I went into the world of marketing and was still finding my feet um, and I messed up. I messed up an email campaign and I messed it up pretty bad. Uh, And I was just destroyed over it. Felt so terrible. And the the guy I was working for at the time um, was ex-military and had a reputation for like everything on the dot, everything correct. You know, he was a stickler. Um, And he was gone the day that I messed it up and I was just like living in dread of God, the day that Joe comes back and I'm going to have to face him and face this mistake that I made. And it was him that said it. Um, You know, we were in the break room, I was in the break room and he walks in and I'm just bracing myself. And he didn't look at me. He just said, you know, when I was flying missions in Afghanistan, those were life and death situations. Nothing we do here is life and death. And then he just walked away and I was like, Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I messed up and it was a thing. Nobody died.
0: Now you learn from it and you move on, you know? And like, you know, marketing has so much experimentation that if you're so afraid to make a mistake, you want to be careful, of course. But you know, I've never had, I've never seen any great marketers not have one of those.
1: Right. And that was why I think it stuck with me was it's, it is a critical lesson in marketing is you can't be Afraid to mess up because you're going to.
0: So, what would you name this chapter of your life right now?
1: This is sort of my transitions era, I would say. Um, yeah, like, I n- nothing's changing fast, but I feel like I'm on the threshold of lots of changes. You know, the business is growing, so there's that professionally. Um, I've got a kid who's going to be going to college next year, so I've got that going on in my personal life. My parents, who have always lived. Close to me are moving away, so that's going on my personal life. So this, it's the the standing on the threshold of change. So I'm going to call this transitions.
0: I, I love standing on the threshold of change. <laughs> on the threshold. That's awesome. <laughs> that's great. So what's something that uh, you know when you're when you're a writer and you've been a journalist and you've done all the things you've done, you know, you get some like informal rules, you know. But what's something you've changed your mind about?
1: I think I've really loosened up on the rules around uh, content because I used to be on the uh, more of a stickler on, you no, know, you post to LinkedIn four times a week in the same time every day. You know, you send your email every week or every two weeks and that's it, like those are the couple cadences. And I've relaxed all of those hard and fast rules and come to the realization that there are no hard and fast rules. Uh, You know, I, am sure it's the thing that drives other professionals crazy that the marketer standard answer is it depends. It does. It depends on you. It depends on your audience. It depends on your product. It depends. The only hard and fast rule is that if you don't try, you won't find out. God, that's great.
0: By the way, it depends is the only honest real answer. You know, every marketing guru that's like, this is the way it is. I'm like, you're, I tuning you out right away because Market, life life cycle, so many factors, timing.
1: What was the right answer yesterday might not be the right answer today.
0: Yeah. What worked for this company might not work for you at all. It might What worked for an identical company to you might actually only work a little for you because of X, Y, and Z. It depends. That's like, I love that. We, we can do a whole episode called It Depends, by the way.
1: <laughs> probably have a whole podcast called It Depends. <laughs> we actually could. I love that
0: concept. I might have to write about that because that one really, I love that. All right. So last question and I'll let you go. Um, If you could give your younger self any advice, what would it be?
1: Probably to relax and quit overthinking things. Uh, You know, I couldn't have predicted where I'm at right now, but I'm happy where I'm at. Uh, Just, you know, you plan, but be prepared to, to go with the flow and change your plans. Don't overthink it so much.
0: I think that's a really positive message for anyone in marketing and for anyone in life, honestly, you know? Like the tighter we are, the less we get, you know, you have to be flexible. There's no roadmap to this.
1: And if you try to make one, you're going to, you're just going to stress yourself out.
0: Yeah. You're just going to try to force it. And whatever comes out of things being forced is never anything you really want.
1: The other part of that, the, the parallel to it is know who you are. If you know who you are and you're making your decisions based on that, then you don't need to overthink all of the possible permutations of it.
0: 100%. You know, what's crazy is everything we just talked about also applies to content.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it does.
0: Every time I think about content from a brand's point of view, or I think about it from my point of view, when I'm doing on LinkedIn, or I watch you, knowing who you are is what it's actually all about. And if you can be a little vulnerable, show who you are, communicate the way you would communicate, then people are like, oh, I like that. Or maybe they don't like that because they don't like peaches.
1: And it's all good. I'm actually going to leave you one more thought um, on that note. And you mentioned earlier when we talked about know who you are, know who your audience is, and know who you are to your audience. Uh, There was a great quote I came across last year. Um, It was, I don't remember what the conference was, but I know the person who said it was the uh, marketing, the director of marketing at Jack in the Box restaurants. And he said, he talked about how Jack in the Box, like they, that is a brand that is very confident in their brand. They know who they are. And he said, we're drunk people food. We know that we embrace it. We're not trying to be anything
0: else. Thank you so much, Dana. This was a blast. This was so much fun, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. Want to hear more inspiring stories? Subscribe on your preferred podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what we're doing, please rate, review, and share. It's the best way to support us. Thank you for listening to Brand Story.